0: I'm Lindsay, and this is our review of Casino Royale, starring Daniel Craig, Eva Green, Mads Mickelson, Giancarlo Giannini, Jeffrey Wright, and Dame Judy Dench. Directed by Martin Campbell, released in 2006 on a $150 million budget, grossed $608 million at the box office, and is considered one of the most fabulous reboots of all time of a series. We'll get into that, but Lindsay, welcome back to the show, and what's your background with Bond movies and with this one specifically?
1: I've seen a ton of Bond movies. I remember approximately none of them, so I did have to re watch this one. I mean I've seen I've seen Almost all of them. I really remember very little about them, um, except that I like them. So they made that impression on me, at least. Um, this movie, I remember going to see it in the theater when it came out and thinking, hmm, Daniel Craig, he looks like a weird Bond. Like, that's just not what you think of when you think Bond. You think, like, Pierce Brosnan and um, just, like, I, I don't know, just, like, the broodingly handsome type. And... Daniel Craig just didn't seem to fit that mold. But I was like, whatever, he's hot. I'll go see it. (laughs) And I went and I was like, oh, oh, no, I could be down with this. And he might be one of my favorite bonds. But again, this is my kickoff into my coronavirus bond marathon. So uh, maybe more to come.
0: I've grown up with James Bond as much as anything else. I mean, when they started, I started becoming aware of Bond is when they would run them on cable when I was a kid. And this was Roger Moore. So Roger Moore was like my Bond in terms of growing up, but my dad grew up with Bond too. Cause he saw him when he was in the Navy and stuff. And he said, look, if you're going to watch James Bond, you got to do it right. So he went and rented Dr. No and Goldfinger. And I watched those before I was allowed to see my first Bond. Granted, I'm like eight. So I don't know how much of it really took. But I've just been hooked ever since. And then, I don't know, like TBS, when I was growing up and stuff and in high school and in holidays on college, would run like Bond marathons. And we would just keep them on in the background while we were playing cards or doing whatever. And so I've seen them all, multiple times, on the whole set. And I remember when this one came out, it, everyone was like, oh, they're going to kind of reboot it, which is different. Because generally when James Bond hands off from one actor to the next, they just kind of pick up with like and this is also James Bond and you know for years the fan theory was it's just a moniker and they give it to different spies but this it's actually been proven wrong but I knew they were they were redoing it because stuff like Batman Begins had happened it was a big reboot and there was that was the time in the 2000s when we would take our franchises and just reimagine them and some work better than others Batman being a good example Halloween being nah, one that went the other way and maybe didn't work so well. And then you have Bond here and obviously, I mean, this was the 21st James Bond movie. It was a huge, huge movie, or 21st official one, as they say. Huge movie, and I remember the the internet exploding when they said this Daniel Craig guy, who I knew is like a bad guy, B player in other movies up to this point, was going to be Bond because he was short, he was blonde, he was weird looking. And it was like, no, he can't be Bond. And then I was like, no, wait a minute, though. This guy can actually act, which is different than some of the other Bonds. And then everybody saw it, and Oh, wow. I mean, right? I mean, it was it was huge. And I think it's neat, though, because this was a big one for the Eon Productions, the Broccoli's, because they had wanted to do Casino Royale for a long time, but the rights were held up by somebody else. There there was like a TV movie of this that got made in the 60s that's a complete farce. It's like if Pink Panther was a James Bond movie. That's kind of how it goes. It's ridiculous. Uh, Woody Allen's in it that tells you anything. Uh, so it's really not what you expect from Bond, but the book Casino Royale is the first James Bond book. And so when they finally got the rights back to it, they're like, we're going to do casino Royale. We're going to do this story. It's a big deal. And since, Hey, this was the kickoff of Bond in literature, we're just going to kind of reset it. Cause who cares anyway? And it's a bold choice. I mean, I was going to ask you, what do you make of that choice doing that instead of going with like the continued adventures line?
1: I loved it. And I was telling you yesterday that I, inadvertently and completely by accident picked one of the best movies I feel to start like kick off my James Bond marathon. So I'm pretty pumped about that. But no, I have a note and I'll talk about it a little bit later. But I love how there are moments in this movie where James Bond is clearly very talented individual in this profession. But there are moments where you can clearly see that he is still a rookie like and M just puts him in his place, like, oh, no, no, <laughs> you don't get it. Here's how things work. So I thought it worked really well. Um, you know, I had. Zero heartburn over the reboot. I thought it was brilliant.
0: You're right about the M2. And that's one of the neat things is allowing Judy Dench to go from the Brosnan universe to this was a great stroke because she only got better in those four movies. I think even though they, they kind of, I don't know, toward the end of the Brosnan thing, like he, the scripts they handed that poor man were just not good. Like he had golden eye, then everything was a down, but Judy Dench got to play more and more of a role. And they realized what a gem they had in her to be able to do this, the, like this Shakespearean period piece Oscar bait actress would slum it in the Bond universe for a decade and a half. They they really struck something with that.
1: I would watch anything with Dame Judy Dench in it. Anything she could she could be in Pink Panther. I'd watch it.
0: Oh, I would be down for that actually. It would probably work. <laughs> she's got a great sense of humor.
1: And, I know she really does.
0: And, but the thing is though, like if you watch this, Sam, and like I I'd go back and watch GoldenEye because it's on Netflix now, you're doing your Bond marathon, and because that's Brosnan's first one, and it's a great one. But she's such a different person in that <laughs> than she is in this movie. But there's shades of it that move forward, which is kind of cool. So I was down for this again. Um, I didn't know Evergreen from anything until I watched this movie. And I think I've seen almost anything she's done since, because we'll talk about her, but what a striking presence as a, quote, Bond girl, which is a lot of times just a thankless, nothing role. And she is so beyond the typical version of that. So let's go ahead and do a quick plot summary, though, Lindsay, for me, for folks that hadn't seen Casino Royale before or since. Why don't you tell folks what this movie's all about?
1: All right, folks, spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen it yet, that's a you problem. A mysterious man known as Mr. White introduced a Ugandan warlord to a man named Lashiv who serves as a banker to terrorists. Lashiv invests a large sum of money from the Ugandan in an aerospace company bound to take a big loss because of a planned bombing. The newly minted 007 James Bond intervenes by first killing a bomb maker and then tracing the clues to a corrupt Greek official named Demetrios. Bond thwarts the bombing, causing Lashiv's investments to go belly up and thus putting him in a desperate race to retrieve the lost funds. Lashiv plans to win the money back, staging a Texas Hold'em high stakes poker tournament at the Casino Royale in Montenegro. Bond is paired with a contact in Montenegro named Mathis and Vesper Lind, who is a British Treasury agent there to oversee Bond's use of a $10 million buy in so he can play against and hopefully defeat Lashiv, thus drawing him to their side so he'll turn in those he works for. Bond loses his stake and is stopped from outright killing Lashiv by CIA agent Felix Leiter, who is also playing in the game incognito and offers to cover Bond's rebuy. Once again staked, Bond defeats Lashiv's final hand. Tipped off by Mathis, Lashiv kidnaps Vesper and Bond, whom he tortures mercilessly before Mr. White intervenes and shoots Lashiv. Bond and Vesper steal away for his recovery, and he confesses that he is in love with her, resigns from MI6, and the two go to Italy together. However, Bond learns Vesper did not transfer the winnings back, but was a double agent who is trying to save her lover. Bond intercepts the money. Bond intercepts the money handoff, shoots the henchman, and the building they are in begins to sink into the Grand Canal. Vesper, locked in an elevator, secures the door, refusing to let Bond save her as he watches her drown. Now, back at MI6, Bond coldly dismisses his feelings for Vesper and goes after the culprits. This culminates in him catching up to Mr. White, shooting him in the leg, and introducing himself as Bond, James Bond, as credits roll.
0: That is a very good job of summarizing a really dense movie. It's almost two and a half hours long. And just when you think it ends, it's got a whole other act coming. And we'll talk about that as we go through. But that's the thing that's always blown me away about this movie and Bond movies tend to be you know, two hours plus for the most part, they, especially the more the modern ones the last 20 years. They all tend to do that because they only make them every three or four or five years, so they put a lot in them. But I've always been aware of the length of this one. And not that I felt the length of it so much, but there's just so much that happens in it. It's like being on a roller coaster that lasts a very long time.
1: Yeah, I, um, I was taking notes during the movie for the podcast, as I do. And I realized when it was finished how many notes I had taken. And it's far more than any other movie we reviewed. And I was like, wow, a lot happened in this movie. But it doesn't feel like it. It's so enjoyable. Every single second of the movie, there's something going on. It's great.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we we go from Bond earning his double O status to – he's like got to the point where he's ready to quit and run away with the woman of his dreams to Nope. And now he's back in and he's chasing after the culprits. And that's the thing about this one at the ending. And we'll talk about it when we get to it, but it it was different. I mean, there's not another bond movie that leaves you on a cliffhanger and has a direct sequel to itself. Quantum of Solace is the direct sequel of this. That was a a different story choice to leave it hanging for everybody. Because usually these Bond things, they all wrap up and it usually ends with him and some woman together. And, you know, the, the British prime minister going, Oh, James, or some nonsense like that. You know, and <laughs> then, we, then we get a good ending, you know, lounge singer song and we, we get out, but not this one, man. I mean, it opens up cold, and it opens up black and white while he's doing his double O status where he's got to get two kills. So he's taking out this corrupt official in MI6. And we see in flashbacks him getting into absolutely one of the most awesome bathroom fights I've seen since probably True Lies.
1: Oh, so it was so good. And I do have I I have a lot of notes about everything, but the opening in particular um, is i love the black and white opening but then there's a line at the beginning where um the uh, the his second kill i'm sorry i don't remember his name um it or if it was even mentioned but he says if theatrics were supposed to scare me you have the wrong man bond and I was like, that's such a great line, because this opening is so fucking theatrical. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> It's so perfect. I love how they did that.
0: Well, I love how he tells him, like, you don't know me well enough. I know, you know, you're not the thing. And he says, like, well, I know where you keep your gun, you know, because he pulls yeah. the gun on him and it clicks. He's like, here's your magazine. Would you like it back? You know, look, Daniel Craig <laughs> has this look on his face that's like permanently fuck you. <laughs> you know, it's just how he looks at the world. And, and I love the end though, when the guy's like, well, the second one is, and he's supposed to say is a lot easier. And <laughs> he shoots him in the face before he can say it. And it's like, yeah, it was a lot easier. Cause we saw the elaborate way he had to kill the other guy in the bathroom and like beat him to death before he shot him.
1: Yeah. Also, I love that moment too, that it's a lot easier moment when he interrupts his sentence by shooting him because it's one of those moments. It's, it's a total Austin Powers moment, if I may, because <laughs> <laughs> there's that one scene in Austin Powers when I think it's like Dr. Evil's son. It's like, why don't you just go back in time and kill him while he's on the toilet? Like, just kill him. Why are you waiting for him to finish his sentence? You're only opening yourself up to more danger. And I love that in that moment, Bond was just like, yeah, I'm done. And then just done. Yep. That's well,
0: I mean, Tuco two, the rat and the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then the John McClane and Die Hard have taught us two things. If you're going to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. Yeah. <laughs> if you have the chance to kill someone, do it. And yeah. he doesn't waste any time. And I think that's what they're really implying, because Bond has gone through a lot of an evolution as a character. Conry was kind of a brute and, and was tough, but... And, and in Dr. No, he's pretty brutal in the way he shoots people. That kind of got lessened as he went on. Roger Moore was very much the suave, debonair Bond. Uh, as was Pierce Brosnan. They have a lot more in common than people want to admit. Timothy Dalton was a straight up psycho assassin Bond, which was different. <laughs> um, George Lazenby was his own planet of Bond. And then you got Daniel Craig, who is like part Connery Brute and part Brosnan Slick. You know, but he's got a lot of that intensity and it's very much you realize he takes this seriously. He has no passion about it. He's just doing a job and he moves on. And what's going to be neat is to watch him get forced into passion in this movie because it happens organically for him. But what it's so cool. And then we get to the opening title sequence, which is different because usually it's, you know, half naked women in silhouettes and all this. And no, we get like card playing card figure people shooting each other and a badass chris cornell song rest in peace
1: i was i couldn't stop watching it all of the the animations that were done for the opening were just like a feast (laughs) they were a visual feast for my eyes and my brain and i loved it i was just like this is so cool look at all of this someone worked really hard on this
0: and bond opening title sequences are their own movie in a lot of mm-hmm. ways i mean i think there's cuts of them on youtube like super cuts of of bond sequences and they you know they they're almost always really good the song is always a big thing for me though because if the song doesn't work in a bond movie i'm like okay i'm in for a rough ride if the song's yeah. not good and i i when they said okay chris cornell's doing the bond th- song i'm like Hmm. Okay. I don't you know. Soundgarden or audio slave doing the bond. I don't know how this is going to go. And I was pleasantly surprised when I heard it because it, it's a great song too. Cause it doesn't have the title in it or anything. It's all about, you know, who I am. You know how ruthless I am. And James Bond is the baddest mofo that ever lived. And I got to think part of that was that the production company really wanted to reset audience expectations for James Bond because it had gotten campy and corny. And we had invisible cars in the snow in the last Pierce Brosnan movie, die another day. (laughs) And we had Madonna electro pop songs. And so we had just kind of gone to a place and they wanted to come back to another one and have a guitar riff, raspy voice singer, Laying out, you know my name is it's a great way to make a statement, and it fits the motif of this whole movie.
1: This is a geometrically artistic treat is what I wrote down <laughs> regarding <laughs> regarding the opening. So that is the mindset I was in last night, I guess. it It really was everything you want in a bond opening.
0: Yeah, and what's amazing about this movie for me is that most of the first act is setting us up to get to the Casino Royale. And I'd forgotten that about this. I'd seen this two or three times, but it had been a few years since I watched it. And I was like, oh man, they go through a lot to set up the whole plot here. Mr. White's organization and meeting Le chief in the Ugandan. And we got this whole rainy jungle thing, which is like, that takes a lot of time to set up all that up and shoot that. And they just kind of... You do it and then it's gone and those guys show up once later but they do all of that and the whole setup with you see James Bond is now on a mission with another guy and they're watching Is it? it's like a cobra fight a mongoose or something I've seen chicken fights but um, holy cow it,
1: it is it is a badger I believe okay. um, and I only know that because uh, I saw that in my first reaction was oh Hufflepuff versus Slytherin <laughs>
0: My first reaction, this tells you my childhood was ricky, ticky, tabby.
1: And that's all I'll say about that. So maybe it is a mongoose. I, I don't, I wasn't, um, paying that close attention, but yeah, my first reaction was, Oh, obviously. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Right. I mean, of course it's the time, time immemorial. (laughs) This conflict is, but I, I love that they're watching this and they're, he's having this whole conversation with his fellow agent, uh, who goes nameless and is, Basically useless in this, but he, the guy gives them away because he keeps holding his earpiece mm-hmm. in and Bond's like, take your hand away, moron, because the obviously scarred and firebombed bomber, uh, this guy that they've got in there catches onto him and starts running. And I looked this up because I was curious about it. They go through this elaborate chase where they're doing parkour all over, you know, wall running all over the place. This guy was one yes. of the people that like apparently founded parkour and they got what? him to play this role yes they put him in all that's the makeup and stuff crazy. they got the parkour inventor to go of course obviously daniel craig is not doing all of that but they got him to train the stunt guy to chase him and it it's impressive it's a it's a low tech really cool chasing usually that's cars and airplanes and all that stuff nope this is guys running through dilapidated buildings and basically he's trying to get to his embassy so he could hide
1: That's so cool. I actually was thinking as I was watching the movie, like, I wonder how much green screen was used for this because there's so much running through those buildings and I did not look it up. But yeah, but that's such a cool, cool fact about it.
0: The only CGI you get is enhance of fire. And things like that. But yeah. bomb movies are kind of notorious for... They either go way heavy into the computer graphics stuff, since that became a thing, or they are super practical effect. And yeah. this one, they, they... Martin Campbell was adamant, like, we need to do as much practical as we possibly can. Because even though CGI is good right now... We're trying to reset the dial on this thing and we just had an invisible car on the snow. So maybe we should dial it back a little bit in this movie. And yeah, it's all, it's all done there. It's, uh, it's really cool though, that whole chase. And what I love too is how Bond finally catches up to him and he realizes he's surrounded finally by all the guards. He can't get out of the gate and he decides, screw it. Shoots the guy after he steals the cell phone, of course, and then uh, in MythBusters fashion, shoots a, uh, a a propane tank, and you know that's his escape through the uh, through the woods.
1: Gotta do what you gotta do.
0: But it's a great action sequence. And then I I did make a note to myself. I'm like, how about that sweet Nokia phone? Take a beating oh and God. keep going, right?
1: The Nokia phones, man. <laughs> I bet they still work.
0: Yes, yes, they do. I still wish I had one. There's so much more than my cracked screen iPhone sitting over here by me right now.
1: I might so. still have one, honestly. Like somewhere in the dregs of my closet. But. I mean,
0: this movie is like one year before the smartphone took over the world, though. That's, th- that's the problem. Because like Blackberries were a thing, but clearly James Bond was not going to use the banker's phone. So, yeah. yeah, we had like Sony's and we had Nokia's here. And, you know, two years later, it would have been iPhones. And it was. But. You know, or androids or something, but not in this one. So we still got, that's one thing that you watch it now and you're like, Oh, uh, when they use technology that is incredibly dated, it, it catches you, but it still works. And what's funny is that the point was he was supposed to keep the guy alive and because his partner's going to try to shoot him. He's like, No, I'm trying to keep him alive. And then Bond makes the decision, screw it. I am going to shoot the guy anyway.
1: Yeah. I was so uh, when that happened, I was like, wait, now I'm confused. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> why and then um and then of course that is brought forward um by m later on when she's like you weren't supposed to shoot him you know that right and he was like oh yeah well huh, my bad Sadly. um but i do i actually that is an interesting uh point because in the beginning or in the beginning of that scene where he is with this clearly like, rookie secret agent trying to show him what to do and tell him what to do and calling him an idiot because he keeps putting his hand next to his ear. And uh, it's like, oh, James Bond is training this guy, which is probably true. And so you think, oh, he's very experienced. You're kind of put into the world where you expect to be in James Bond, which is you're not in a reboot. You're in, like... Just a James Bond movie and here he is training a rookie. And then he goes into the next scene after shooting the guy and Emma is chastising him and reprimanding him. And it's like, oh, no, James Bond is a rookie. He's still kind of new at this, too
0: he is. And the great part of that is he breaks into her house <laughs> to let her know, yes. like, Hey, I'm, I'm really good at my job, by the way, please don't fire me. And she's like, what are you doing in here? <laughs> and they have, they have a great back and forth about it. And, sh- you know, she has come out of a meeting where at, you know, after he shoots this guy at the embassy, it's all over the tabloids. Right. And she's like, the bureaucrats are all up my ass about this. Now it's like the, you know, the chief is down my neck about this, you know, Brody stop doing it. and, She's got to, you know, it rolls downhill, you know, and so she's got to chew him out, but also let him know, like, hey, I need you to do things. And she talks, she drops this line a couple of times in the movie and I caught on to it. She was like, I just expected you to be you. Like, she knows something about him because she says, like, I knew it was too early to promote you, but she she has a personal stake in watching this guy succeed or fail one or the other. And you can tell she chides him enough not to beat him down, but so it will prod him to do what he does next. And what he does next is chase down through a lot of techno Babylon leads that they're going to bomb this airline for some reason. And he's able to afford it. And we'll talk about that whole bit at the Miami airport in a minute, but I I love how she is motivating him through criticism a little bit.
1: Yeah. Like she's, She rose to her position not by accident. She knows how to lead people, and she knows what's going to motivate people. And, I mean, at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's what a leader does. That's what they're responsible for. So, she's good at it. She's good at what she does.
0: She's very good at it. And I think that's what's the coolest part of him is just how... I don't know how in control she is at all times and in what she does. And so it just makes her character a lot of fun to watch and a lot of fun to watch with Daniel Craig. And I thought they had incredible chemistry together throughout this movie.
1: Yeah, they did. And again, Dan Judy Dench. She can do no wrong.
0: Right. You can just watch, you can watch her do <laughs> anything so and she would be good at yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing what, what they're able to do. But then Bond goes on this little side adventure, uh, where he is chasing down something called ellipsis and he doesn't know what that is, right? And he finally traces it to Demetrios down in Miami Beach. And in typical Bond fashion, he gets information by sleeping with the God's woman, uh, cause that's just what Bond does.
1: It happens. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's his whole bit, but he's able to go in and I mean, he, he wins an Aston Martin from the guy in a poker game, which is kind of fun. So you get to establish that Bond's a really good poker player. And in the books, it's obvious that he's really good at games of chance. So that's something that they, they always give James Bond to do is when they have back rack or they have poker to do or something like that, they have James Bond. Um, go and do those missions for them. And I mean, if you want to learn how to play baccarat, uh, read Casino Royale because it's like an instructional manual on how to do it. This movie does it the light touch way, thankfully. But yeah,
1: <laughs> that I've I've oh. never played baccarat. I had did, however, play poker, and I was thinking about this as I was watching this movie, which came out in two thousand six. Um. Was a time in college when I was super into playing poker, particularly Texas Hold'em. And I was like, yeah, no wonder I like this movie so much then. I mean, I still like it, but I really liked it then.
0: It was the rage back then. I mean, it really was because the hockey league had gone on strike. And ESPN had been running poker for years, but they decided, let's put cameras in the tables and we will um, we'll show poker around the clock like we would hockey. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- it became this national pastime. So every game store you went into had a Texas Hold'em set in it. And yep. so this that was the decision, you know, influenced this decision in the movie was, hey, we've got, you know, Texas Hold'em all over the place. People know what that is. Let's make sure that's the game they're playing.
1: Yeah, it was great. And I actually thought like the knowledge that I had gained just because I played it and I played it with a lot of other people uh, because it was all the rage, as you said. Um, I mean, you can watch this movie and enjoy it if you've never played poker in your life. But if you have played poker in your life, it is just another level of enjoyment in my personal opinion.
0: It's a lot of fun to watch. It's also like poker on steroids because everybody's got yeah. like the the impossible like Maverick hands. So they have four aces and yeah, this nonsense.
1: They're shuffling chips <laughs> and like <laughs> yeah, doing it's... all the crazy shit. That's like I could never do that. I've seen people do it.
0: Yeah, I'm lucky did. if I can get the deck to shuffle right. That's yeah. my one yeah. trick on cards. But it's neat to watch him chase this this lead down and. It, he finds out, you keep seeing this word ellipsis. What is that? What is that? And he finally realizes that it's the, the keypad code in for how to get through the security door in the Miami airport, which I'm like, oh, that's an old texting reference. People are not going to get that if they never had to text on a keypad before.
1: That's a good point. I never thought about that. I mean, to me, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know how he figured that out, but James Bond's a genius. This is what he does. Well,
0: he just kept deducing the clues one to the yeah. next, and he he called him for like I need you to get me through a door, and then he said Wait a minute, it's uh, you know it's so many you know the numbers long. He's like Wait a minute, Ellipsis has how many letters in it? And he's doing like the Jeff Goldblum uh, Independence <laughs> Day thing, you know, and he's just sort of figuring it out. And the next thing you know, yeah. he's through the door, and we get a great chase and fight with the the random terrorist that has the little keychain bomb, um, and what. Ultimately happens is the police finally arrest these two idiots who are running around the airport and the guy thinks he's got it on this big new super jetliner that this company's uh, putting out. And we should say the way chief has done this is he's gotten this money from these warlords and he put a put option on this airline, which is basically you're betting that a stock is going to go down in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of 9-11 conspiracies around put options and I'll leave it at yeah. that. But it's
1: the same thing. Well, they setup. kind of cover that a little bit.
0: Yeah, they do. The, they they kind of cut it, but this is what's going to happen. He's going to bomb this plane and then that's going to, you know, make the, the stock crash and then they're going to, you know, triple their return or whatever it was. He said he was going to do. And of course, Bond thwarts that because when the guy thinks, I've got that bomb on the plane and you're getting arrested. Ha, ha, ha. And he hits the button and it blows him to smithereens, of course, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. the next thing is you see the chief like going, okay. I just lost $110 million. Um, that's kind of a problem. I'm going to have to do something about that. And we get a cool reveal on this guy, Mads Mickelson, by the way. I didn't know him from anything. Of course, I've seen him like in Hannibal and a lot of other stuff now. But this little bit about the, the blue glazed over eye and the fact that he like doesn't have tear ducts. So he just weeps blood constantly is such a neat thing. It's almost too much, but he plays it so cold. It makes it fun.
1: Yeah. Um, and can we just talk about his inhaler for like a second? <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, when he took that first puff from his inhaler, I was like, no, <laughs> villain with an inhaler. <laughs> I guess kids with asthma can be villains too. <laughs> like, well, I, th-
0: I think it's what they're showing is that this is not your typical Bond villain. In a lot yeah. of ways. He's not a tough guy, per se. He just looks menacing, but he's got to use an inhaler. He kind of weeps blood a little bit, and he also made a hugely stupid mistake. And that's what's different here, is most antagonists have their own, like, control the world thing. He's on the run from other people that are straight going to kill him for screwing yeah. up like this. It makes his his plight so much more interesting.
1: Yeah, and I mean, he has an inhaler, but it's a baller <laughs> inhaler. Like, yeah.
0: It's chrome.
1: Yeah. 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 He's put some work into that inhaler.
0: But Bond goes back. And of course, the, you know, Demetrius, he killed him at the airport. We should mention that, but they, they've gone after his wife now. So she washes up dead on the beach. And this is when we get him kind of talking to him about, hmm, was this necessary? And, you know, look at the collateral damage here. And he's like, it's just part of doing the job. And you just get how cold. This guy comes off as, or maybe even how cold he is. Uh, but those chats are good. And he asks her a great question. He's like, you knew I would go after this, right? And she says to him, again, I knew you were you. And I'm like, mm, there's a neat bit of trust and sort of shorthand between these two people, even though they haven't worked together that long.
1: Yeah. And I think, and I, I thought, oh yeah, there it is. She says something, again, standing on the beach after he's had this, you know, great um encounter well we can talk about that in a minute because there's a whole thing that leads up to her body being washed up on the beach yeah um, but when uh, when M looks at her looks at james bond and says i'd ask you if you could remain emotionally detached but that's not your problem is it bond <laughs> and it's like because as he's standing there just like staring at this dead body i was like all right. No, I mean, I guess if you're going to do the job, you kind of have to have that mindset. That makes sense. But I'm glad that she called it out. Um, so I, I appreciated that line quite a bit.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, well, look. That's a trope of James Bond, too, is that he uses women to kind of get to where he's going to go. Right. It's, it's part of the character, and they're building they're it in. they always
1: and, collateral.
0: Yeah, right? And there's always, like, two Bond girls. There's the first Bond girl that he sleeps with who dies horrifically, yep. almost always. And then there's the main Bond girl who may or may not be a bad person, but gets turned good by his magic love or something, or they may die at their own hands. We don't know. It, there's lots of ways the main Bond girl goes. Uh But the, the first one here, and I don't even remember the, the character's name. I'm not sure it matters, but it's typical, exactly what you expect, Bond girl. Gorgeous woman. He yeah. sweeps her off of her feet. She's like, sure, I'll have an affair with you. No problem. And then she washes up dead on the beach.
1: Yeah, um... Also, he just straight up ghosts her. Like he orders champagne and caviar and then just pieces the fuck out. And I was like, (laughs) when he says no for one, I was thinking, oh yeah, I mean, I've ordered food for like five and said it was for five, but it was really just for one. So I get that, I'm with him. (laughs) And then he leaves and I was like, no, it really was just for one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he does just totally love him and leave him and walk away because he's got a job to do. That's what, I know. that's what it says, but it is cold and it's that, that coldness that comes off next because, you know, they find out, okay, so the chief's going to hold this, uh, tournament at the casino Royale on Montenegro and it's a, you know, Texas Hold'em and yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. You're going to go play and, uh, we're sending somebody from the treasury with it, with you. You'll meet her on the train and enter Vesper Lynn. And I, again, Eva Green is not only, in my estimation, one of by far the hottest women they ever got to play opposite of James Bond, but she has so much gravitas to herself as a performer and in this character, it is amazing to realize they hired her after they had started shooting the movie. She had already turned them down, didn't want to do it. They came back to her again. Got her to read the script, and she said, there's a little something more here than the standard Bond girl. I'll do it if you'll let me play it the way I want to. And they were like, absolutely, we've got to have you. Please do it. And I love how they size each other up. And I mean, she's such a step up in the Bond girl category in almost every way. That scene in in the train and then in the bathroom when they're getting dressed and she's already like got his jacket size tailored for him and all this. It's just, it shows you that he is working with somebody who is equally as good at what she does as what he does.
1: Yeah. I sized you up.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Good. Good accent, by the way. Very good.
1: Thanks. I practice. Yeah. I did, yeah, we should mention
0: Lindsay's the one person on Filmster with actual IMDb credits again. So you
1: oh, like, Oh, that's right. I do have IMDb credits. Yeah, cards. you are the professional
0: <laughs> among us for sure. But I, I loved how. They're it was going, so long ago. <laughs> they're going back and forth on this train though. And he's going like, I would bet you're this and that and the, and oh, I would bet you're an orphan boy because you went to that for me and yada, yada. And they just go back and forth. And what you realize is that they're both completely, totally wrong about each other. And they're kind of laughing about it and they get a kick out of it. But then the fact that he's like, I need you to look dashing and, you know, command attention when you walk in the room and she's looking at him like, okay, uh, by the way, that jacket you're wearing is trash, but the, the one that I've got for you. <laughs> and yeah. And then when she does show up in the room again, stunning, just the way she walks mm-hmm. in and commands the place. Um just a neat performance and such a good counter to Daniel Craig's intensity. She's got her own sort of slow burn intensity going.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she really does. It's just smoldering, I think, is the accurate.
0: It is as smoky <laughs> as, put, as the yeah. eye makeup she puts on later. I mean, it really yeah. is. So. Smoky
1: eye, red lips, not a look anyone, you know not something everyone can rock but she did it quite a few scenes in this movie She pulls I it can off. respect that Yeah, she pulls yep. it off quite
0: well and again she gives as much as she gets in these scenes though she does have some good vulnerabilities and we'll talk about this as they come up we meet Mathis yeah. Giancarlo Giannini I love this guy when he shows up in movies because he always plays somebody who is way in over his own skis like every time I've seen him the one time I think most people remember him if you saw the movie Hannibal uh, he is the inspector that is going to turn in Hannibal Lecter and it ends quite badly for him him, not to spoil every movie tonight, but uh, yeah, he, he's always kind of like half in over his skis. He's like a low-rent Jean Renault or something in terms of characters and what he does, but I, I love this guy because the minute we meet Mathis, and he's for the French version of the CIA or whatever, it, you realize, like, this guy has already sold these people out. Like, you know he is dirty just by his whole presence.
1: Yeah, and I I was... I actually, again, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, so it was a surprise to me still when I was like, Mathis? Really? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it was nice to kind of relive those moments, but then you go back and think like, oh yeah, that makes sense. He has so many fun just like, yeah, like that first scene when all of the police roll up when he's like, oh no, we can't afford to, to buy out the chief of police, and then he's like, so I bought out the rest of them. No big deal. Yeah. They're much cheaper <laughs> and way more effective.
0: Exactly. Like if you can't start at the top, go from the bottom. And that's mm-hmm. also is another reveal that like, oh, yeah, this guy is totally for sale and is sold yeah, many like, people out. He, uh, but but also
1: he knows what he's doing. Like,
0: yeah. He, yeah. He, get, he gets the well. unenviable task of this movie of having to explain poker to people that don't know it. Like he, he is the poker narrator for this movie. Like Bond is betting <laughs> the big blinds now yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. And, I, and he's trying to explain it to Vesper. And I don't know if it's like just Eva Green did it to him once or whatever, but she looks at him like, are you straight man's playing poker to me right yeah. now, man? <laughs> Cause that's how it comes off. Just the look on her face. It's funny. Uh, when well, you watch it now.
1: Moment. Yeah. There was a moment like that in the train too um where where James Bond was kind of mansplaining like the math of poker to her and i was like he is not straight like <laughs> and it took me a minute where i was like she doesn't and and that's actually a testament to the actress like saying when she walks in she commands exactly what her character is because as she's talking and they're talking about poker i was like there is no way this bitch is like math is hard she knows what she's talking about. She's got to be playing him, and then she was, and I was like, "Yes, I knew it." But it was, it was. She was just like, "I just don't like poker." I get it. I just don't like it.
0: She's a master <laughs> accountant for the treasury. For goodness' yeah. sake, so like she knows, she knows more math than most of us have forgotten. You know, and and she's really good at it. And so we get to, what's neat about the second act of this, Lindsay, is that bomb movies are built on their big action set pieces, and. Honestly, for this movie, we've had our action set pieces. We had our parkour chase, we had our plane explosion, and now we're going to play poker for 45 minutes to an hour in this, and they're going to keep the tension ratcheted up yes. because again, it they was... th- they figured out hey, poker can be exciting when you shoot it a certain way.
1: Mm-hmm. It enraptured is. I mean, <clears throat> I was, you know, I mean, I was watching the movie. To podcast it, but I was just couldn't take my eyes off of it. It was fantastic. And I mean, it's to anyone who's watched like the world poker tournament when they get to those final tables and they film it with just the big hands like that is equally as exciting. And that's how, you know, that's how this was run. They did a great job with it.
0: Yeah, so I love it. the one-hour break, Le chief goes back to his hotel room, and it's time to remind him who he owes money to. The Ugandans yeah. show up with their machetes, which I'm like, oh, God, that is so, you know... St- stereotypically bad right now. They're going to cut off his model's arm that he's hanging out with, and he doesn't say anything. And, of course, Bond and Vesper are kind of eavesdropping on all this, and they try to act like they don't see it. And I love the little detail of the guy walking by him, and he sees the earpiece for Bond, and he's like, knew it. And then they get into this great fight, and what, what it culminates in, though, is you realize James Bond is willing to do whatever he has to do to to finish this off. So he throws the one guy over the the rail and he dies. Him and the other guy fight all the way down and he ends up having to choke him to death while Vesper knocks the gun out of his hand. And she has to sit there and watch it. And it's not quick. It's not a uh, uh, click, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He It's a good 10 seconds of choking this guy out and she has to sit there and watch him do this. And you realize how again, dispassionate he can be about it because you get to watch him go back and try to clean all the blood off of himself. The man changes so many shirts in this and then have to go back and play poker while she's upstairs like freaking out the whole time.
1: Yeah, and one of the questions that I thought, you know, as I was watching and as she was freaking out was kind of like, how could she not have been prepared to see something like that? And then I realized, you know what, even if she was an MI6 and had the accounting position in that department, she wouldn't have been boots on the ground. Like, of course, she wouldn't have been prepared to see anything like that. Like, she might know that it happens, you know, on the surface. But, you know, she yeah. So I had to kind of go through that whole journey in my brain of like, wait, I don't understand why she has an issue with this. And then, oh, no, no, no. That makes sense. That makes sense. I get it now.
0: What's cool is to watch this movie again, having seen it before, and know that she's a double agent. And you get to see how conflicted she is. And you get to play this game of trying to figure out which one of them tips off the sheaf that bond knows what his tail is. Cause he tells both of them that I figured out what his tail is. And somehow or another, that word gets back to him. Cause that's how he beats bond. The first uh-huh. time is he, he kind of rubs his temple when he's not real sure of his hand is basically his tail. And so he does that when he's got this monster hand and gets bond to go all in and he takes him out with it. And I'm like, boy, it's so neat to try to figure out, like, did Mathis tell him? Did she tell him at some point? Because when you watch her after he goes back up there and she's in the shower crying and freaking out, you realize she's freaking out because she just had to watch him choke somebody out to death. But she also realizes we're going to lose and the person I love is going to get killed because of this. And probably me, too. Like, she's having a complete breakdown over this.
1: Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I did not put that together. I'll have to go back and watch it again, knowing what I know now.
0: Yeah, he, I mean, the way Bond blows it in that game, though, too. By the way, the odds of all those <laughs> face cards on the table with that many people, not to be poker nerd, astronomical that <laughs> that would even happen. But, hey, whatever.
1: Oh, I was playing the math. I was just like, what are you doing? I mean, like, you're putting a little too much trust in someone's talent. I get it. Like, I do. But, okay.
0: <laughs> what I love is how how the brute Bond, again, he's so pissed. He's like... Fine. He grabs a steak knife and he's just going to go gut the sheep in the lobby because screw it. I'll just kill him. And this is when we get the great entrance of Felix Leiter from Jeffrey Wright. I love his entrance. I'm, I'm your brother in the CIA.
1: I adore this whole bit. This might be, there were so many just perfect moments in this movie. This is hands down one of my favorites for so many reasons. One, yes, he grabs a steak knife that he's going to kill a guy with (laughs) because, sure, why not? It's James Bond. Fine. Yeah. And then it was also like, you can't just kill him. Don't you need him? I thought this is kind of a, hey, we need him alive situation. Maybe I'm wrong. The other guy was also a, we need him alive situation. So I know you're not above that, but okay. So then he just goes off because he's going to kill this guy with a a shee with a steak knife, sheave with sheave. Um, And and, uh, then, uh, yeah, and then our CIA agent walks up and says, wait, no, we'll give you the money under these conditions when you win, because, you know, I'm shit at poker. So when you win, uh, CIA gets to take him and bonds like all right deal what about the money and this is my favorite line does it look like we need the money <laughs> <laughs> you can literally hear people going usa <laughs> yeah you know, like in the background <laughs> and i'm yeah. like that is classic american hubris right there totally. and that is exactly what like britain thinks of classic american hubris and it was it's just like slipped in there but when he said it, I just ate that shit up. I was like, oh. that was perfect. That was the most perfect line in the whole movie. No,
0: it's a great that fucking right line. And he's so good at giving it. He's so cool as Felix Slider. Felix Slider is a character throughout the Bond series that comes and goes. And they've never got it right after the first one. They had Jack Lord from Hawaii 5 0 play him in Dr. No. And he was, <laughs> it was like freaking John F. Kennedy as Felix Slider. It was great, you know. And, you know, they've never really got it right again until they got Jeffrey Wright. And I was like, this is the perfect guy to play this dude. And I I love that whole bit too. And I'm like, yeah, this is like two years before we wrecked the world's economy with our lousy mortgage securities. So whatever. <laughs> Sorry so, guys. <laughs> yeah, whoops. But back in the man, two thousand five, two thousand six. Oh yeah, sure. Five million dollars yeah, to buy even back in. Yeah, think
1: about that. Yeah. yeah,
0: well, I mean, that's the deal, though. So it's ten million dollars to buy in, but if you get beat, you can buy back in for another five. five. And he's like, "Sure, you can have five million dollars because I'm sitting over here pissing away ten million of American dollars anyway." So, yeah, exactly. Whatever. And are the top like, of our Bun? game,
1: guys. Housing market's baller.
0: <laughs> exactly. Everybody's <laughs> buying a house and a boat, you know. So that that's how it's going. And we get back in, and I love how he shows back up, and the sheep looks at him like, "Well, alrighty then. You're just gonna." To keep playing, and I wanted to ask you because I don't know that I know an answer to this. Do you think Lashiv knows? Like this guy is not a poker player. He's obviously some sort of agent trying to get to me.
1: I think Lashiv knows that he's. In, wait, do you wait? Do you think Lashiv Do I think Lashiv knows that Lighter isn't a poker player or that Bond isn't a poker player? Well,
0: well, now that you say it, both that he knows that both of these guys are not legit.
1: Because Leiter's very much not legit, but Bond is very much... He looks like he's played poker before. Mm. Like, I mean, he is impetuous and, you know, arrogant, and most poker players are. But, I mean, he is to a fault, unfortunately, to the beginning. But from, like, the first poker game that they play in the Bahamas... um, or that he plays with Lashiv in the Bahamas. I mean, he's clearly played it before. Like, he knows how to. Um, he might not be as big as Lashiv, but I think that's the moment where it's like, oh, shit. Where did this guy learn how to play poker? Definitely not Oxford. Maybe at Oxford. I don't know. Do they teach you poker at Oxford? I don't know.
0: That's what I was wondering, because what happens next is so amazing. His girlfriend poisons Bond. And I'm like, okay, so either Mathis told him to do that or Vesper told him to do that. I don't know who told him to do that. But it's a great sequence because Bond downs that uh, martini or whatever it is he's having, and immediately goes into like cardiac arrest, and has yes. a great sequence in the car where he's calling people, going like, "Okay, jab this in your neck and put on the defibrillator." <laughs> and he, he didn't hook it up right, and he like falls down in the car, and you know Bestfriend has to come out there and shock him back to life, and he's like, oh, "Okay, I'm good." You know, but it's such a great sequence because that's the thing about James Bond is even in all the crazy stuff he gets himself in, you rarely see him so vulnerable and so beat up. I mean, he gets beat to hell in this movie.
1: And then he's just like, all right, I'll walk it off. It's good. It's no big deal. Yeah, I'm I just back to rolled more. my yeah. car eighteen times, but I'm good. It's
0: fine. Yeah, it's no problem. I'm just gonna do what I gotta do. <laughs> I, 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 it's, yes. it's, it's it's such a neat thing, and I, we do have some good moments too with him in the, the, in the bar where he's ordering like all these elaborate uh, martini drinks. And I think the best line of the movie is like, "You want a in or stirred?" Like, do I give a damn? And I and I think from what I think I've read that that was Daniel Craig ad libbing, like Han Solo I know style, which is perfect.
1: I believe, and some of some of the most iconic lines in so many different movies were totally ad libbed, and I love that. And if we can digress for just a brief moment, because I know we've been talking for a little bit, um, I remember before this movie came out, how big a deal it was that James Bond was not going to be drinking martinis for this reboot. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, oh, he's going to be drinking a rum and coke. That's just wrong. I can't believe that. What? That's so ridiculous. And i was like, first of all, let's just talk about this for a minute. <laughs> in the movie, he— I mean, there was a lot of hoopla around it before the movie came out. In the movie, he orders it because he's in the Bahamas. And if I'm not mistaken in that region they make rum it mm-hmm. is the regional beverage and it's very good there i know they make it in jamaica i've had my share of appleton rum like that's just what you drink when you're you know you drink regional and it seems to me bond bond is drinking local you know i can appreciate that but then when he's like you know what, i will have a martini no wait and i was like <laughs> there it is that's what's pissing people off it's the troll so of much. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah but but i do remember the just everybody talking about how bond was not going to be drinking his iconic drink in this new series of films and right it's like well
0: but, you know, it's a time you know? of change. They were changing a yeah. lot of things. What I love is he comes up with this concoction. And I don't even remember what all was in it. And he drinks it and he sets it back down on the bar. And Vesper takes a sip of it. And Eva Green gives this great look like, damn, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> know. You know, like she's pretty like, this is going to taste like turpentine. Might as well. We're all going to die. Oh, that's actually pretty good. Can I have one of those? <laughs> you
1: know? I love that everyone else at the table orders one, too.
0: Yeah. That without the fruit, please. Yeah. And yeah, and I love how Le is like, is everybody okay now? We want to play or we can <laughs> <laughs> because this and guy is in a freaking hurry with that guy.
1: Yeah. yeah. Everyone has played poker with that guy. Yes. Okay. Can we don't splash the fucking pot? Can we, <laughs> can we Are we ready now? Can we play? Is everyone is everyone done socializing?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, again, he is in a hurry because he's got warlords ready to kill him.
1: Because he oh, did no, no, lose. no. I get it. I feel for the guy, but... <laughs> he's got he's pressure. definitely that guy when he's not being chased by warlords. Let's just be clear. No, no doubt. He is totally the guy. We
0: did need to talk about, too, about the people around the table that we don't ever meet that are not named Felix Slider. We've got, like, the <laughs> random Asian guy that looks like a ninja yeah. with gray hair. you got the yeah. very large African-American man who doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. He just talks in hand signals. You've got other random person over here phyllis diller over to bond's left i mean you've got all these just random people that have bought into this and one by one they kind of all fall apart till there's just the big hand left and bond goes huge with it he's got he's got a killer hand and Again, what ends the hands that these guys have at the end are just like, yeah, right. I mean, people win poker tournaments with like a pair of twos and stuff, but he's got four aces or what the hell ever, and it's it's unbelievable what they go up against each other with.
1: Yeah, well, he has a straight flush. That's what he wins with. Um, Yeah, and which you know, a
0: straight flush of spades though. That's what's amazing. So yeah, it's yep,
1: straight flush of spades, a low straight flush of spades, and. Um And he'd be, it was, I think it was a full house, right? No, he'd be no, no. he a
0: full house, aces over kings. Was it kings. a full house? Yep. Yeah. So.
1: And uh, do you know what I miss? And I feel like this is a thing in almost every poker movie I've ever watched, and it wasn't in this one, and I was waiting for it, and it never happened, was to see that 2-7 suit hand that someone yes. got. And I was waiting for it. And I was like, because I, again, haven't seen it in a while. And I was like, Oh. One of them has to have that hand. That has to be one of the last hands. And it wasn't. And I was a little disappointed, to be honest. But.
0: D- but side recommendation if you really want to watch good poker movie, Rounders from Matt Damon and yeah. Edward Norton from the 90s. Yeah. I
1: love that movie. Yeah. It's a great, yeah. fun, like, you know, I it was just, it's funny, you know, that I was like totally expecting it. Didn't happen. A little disappointed. But you know what? But, it's okay. Because in the end, yeah. the good guy wins.
0: Right. He wipes out Lashiv at the table. $115 million, by the way. So Lashiv was going to make a little dough on the side on this, because I guess because Bond had sweetened the pot with some extra American mortgage dollars. And so the CIA moves in to take Lashiv, um, which he slips through their cracks. So good job, guys. Thanks. And Bond and Vesper go have a steak dinner and he knows something is up with Vesper and he calls out this Algerian love knot she's been wearing the whole time that like she always seems to have it on.
1: And he yeah, can't and quite
0: lock on to it, but he knows something's up with her.
1: Yeah. I, when I first saw her wearing that and when she wore it in every scene, I was like, that's weird. Because normally women switch out their jewelry for, you know, like fancy occasions and stuff. And um, and she wears it through every scene. But when I first saw it, my first thought was, oh, that looks like the knot on the front of the Neverending Storybook. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What is that? And then when he called out, when he called it out, I was like, "Oh, Algerian love knot." Okay, got it. Never heard of it. Yeah, but it it
0: tips you off that there's something else going on with her. And of course, he mm-hmm. finds out she's been taken at this point, and he goes after her in a chase. And I'm not really sure I buy the whole kidnapper's idea. Here is we're going to lay her in the road, and he's going to be yeah. coming down the road at about a hundred miles an hour. But he's going to hit the brakes on that Aston Martin just enough so that he flips the son of a gun over and then we can take him and go and do torture to him.
1: We might but I guess either to way, rest. they were
0: like, we either kill them both or we get to take them both one way or the other. Because what she yeah. wants is, is she's got the briefcase that holds the code to where they've transferred all the winnings of the money from the Casino Royale. in. So th- they've got to have that. She's the only one that can unlock the case. Bond's the only one that knows the code to the bank. So that's so they why they've got to have, have them.
1: they both have to be alive. Yeah.
0: Yeah. One way or the other, they've got to have them. So it's it's a little random, but whatever. We we get a good wreck out of it. And we get, Lindsay, what I can only describe to you as the man as one of the most brutal torture scenes I've ever seen, maybe outside of Serpent in the Rainbow, where something similar oh. happens to poor Bill Pullman. They, they cut the bottom of the wicker chair out and strap Bond naked to it. And Lashif has this huge rope with a knot on the end of it. And he proceeds to just tune oh. our boy up for moments at a time.
1: And it is. From below, oh. guys and yes. ladies. From oh. below. It is not okay. It is. It's, not it's when
0: you okay. realize just how bad a dude. James Bond uh. really is because he's going, I got a little itch to the right. You want to go ahead and hit that again for me? Like, and, and Le is not wrong. He's telling him like, I can cut you into a thousand pieces and then I'll just call your agency and they'll take me in anyway and they'll break it off and it's no big deal. So you might as well just tell me. And Bond knows that hey, you're not wrong. Uh And the only thing that starts to get to him a little bit, and this is what's such a turn for him is when you hear Vesper start screaming in the other room. And he's like, look, I can make sure she's at least okay and alive. If you're you're dead, but I'll make sure she's okay if you just tell me right now. Like, I can call them off. They'll do exactly what I say. And Bond for a half a second thinks about it. And then it's like, no, nope, go ahead and keep hitting me very hard in the place. <laughs> I don't want you to hit me anymore.
1: I know, I cringed, and I was like, oh no, if I'm cringing, I cannot imagine what Jay is going through right now.
0: It's, it's, I've never been more uncomfortable in a movie theater or or in anything, and I mean, I've mean, i seen some weird <laughs> stuff in a theater before, but never more like, I really need a break <laughs> from this. Yeah. I actually had to pause it this time and go, I just need to not think about what like, I just saw happen to this guy.
1: If we can go to a really dark place for a minute, like, what a brilliant fucking way to torture someone. Oh, yeah. That is insane. I haven't seen something like that, like, in Saw. Like, that did not happen. It was, I was, like, when the opening scene came up, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Or when that scene opened, I was like, okay, cool, he's naked sitting in that chair they cut the bottom out of what are they oh no 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 no! they're not gonna do that they wouldn't do that that'd be ridiculous Fuck! they're doing that multiple yes. times this is happening i just over. need to live with the knowledge that this is happening
0: now <laughs> and over again you mentioned saw a great call out saw that in the theaters Carrie always is sawing his foot off, spoiler alert. And I'm going, oh yeah, I've been waiting for that the whole movie. I love the Saw movies, by the way. And I love the weirder and gorier they get. (laughs) I'm down for it. Never like, I'm like, ooh, that's gross. This I'm going, I'm physically in pain for this other person. (laughs) And I know nothing is happening to him, but I'm like,
1: yeah. This
0: and and hats to Maz Mickelson, too, who, you know, is not a tough person in this movie at all, but is trying to be one as best he can, and he gets really pissed off. And so he's fine. Kicks the chair over, he's gonna cut him off for him. You know, yeah. when Mr. White shows up out of no damn where you hear the two shots across the hall, which by the way, I love this little detail. If you shoot guns at all, you know anything about suppressors, they don't just turn everything into a whoosh, whoosh, you know, there's a noise that still happens with a gun report. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, like you hear something, you hear this go across, you hear this fall across the hall, and in comes Mr. White. And I love how Steve is trying to talk himself out of it again, like, "I'll get the money." Just, he's right there. Just let me finish this. And the dude is like, "Nope, no loose ends," and just caps him right there. And I'm like, <laughs> "Wow, I, you out of out of nowhere, rescued by the you know." I'm a wrestling fan. That's like, I didn't expect you to come out of the room and hit the rock with the chair, Steve Austin. But okay.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's right. We're both wrestling fans. Oh, hey. Yay. Um, yeah. No, that's that. I mean, you know, definitely Dave sex right there. Like, just oh, yeah. how is he going to get out of this? And you kind of expect I kind of expected in that moment. Like, all right, James is going to pull off some crazy 007 shit and get out of this. And like, maybe he's already untied his hands. Who the fuck knows? Not me. And then, you know. In comes, in comes, in comes Mr. White, our savior.
0: Well, what I love about it is that Bond doesn't get himself out of it. It's what it yeah. reveals is that there is a much larger presence over all of this that we've just kind of ignored. And has been part of this movie, but is now going to be like the crux of really the next two movies in particular. And I guess part of Spectre. I'm not really sure. It's been a while since I've seen that one, but There's another organization involved here that, oh, yeah, you forgot who loaned this idiot the money to begin with, or at least brokered the deal to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so he rescues And what I love is that Mr. White has the opportunity to shoot them both, and he doesn't because that's not what he was there to do. He was there to, you know, kill the chief. And, okay, well, I guess I'll take you to a hospital. You definitely look like you need it, Bond. And I guess she can go, too. And we go to the convalescing home, you know, where Bond is, bless his heart, sitting in a chair. And I'm like, I, I think sitting might be the worst thing this guy would have to do. Like, maybe standing permanently, leaning on a rock, something. I don't know. Well, he sit. was kind
1: know. of leaning on his back tailbone. I thought of that, yeah. too. On, I mean, granted, I do not have the same anatomy, but I I did notice that he was kind of leaning back so that his nether regions were protected. And you know what? Maybe he had a pillow or something under there. I don't know.
0: Oh, this guy's got the donut of all time. What are you talking about?
1: I'm sure (laughs) he was well protected.
0: (laughs) Yes, he's sitting there. But that's when Mathis shows up to tell him like, yeah, we don't know who that guy was and yada, yada. And, you know, he he gets him, don't tase me, bro. They tase Mathis because at this point, Bond knows he's betrayed him and he's the one that tipped him off anyway, or at least he thinks so he doesn't realize Vesper screwed him over yet. And we should mention too, like with all the chemistry these two have had, and they've really formed a bond with each other. They haven't slept together. They haven't even much as hugged each other, but she's there with him. And that's when he says, Hey, you know, we we need to finish the job or she's like, Hey, I got to transfer this money because they kind of want it back. And he's like, yeah, sure. You know, you haven't figured out what the code is yet. And it's the same thing. He named that dang drink after it's, it's her name. It's Vesper. It's six Mm -hmm. letters. It's perfect. And she kind of smiles, and then this whole thing, we're like, they're together, and he's like, you know what? Screw this whole secret agent stuff. Uh, we'll just go and live in Venice together, because I guess that's what you can do. Maybe the salary and benefits are good. Maybe the pension's good. I don't know. Um,
1: I bet it is.
0: Yeah, it's something, right? But they're off in Venice, beautiful place together, all this. And he gets a call, because she says, hey, I've got to go do something. I'll be right back and em's like hey i'm glad you're like walking around now and everything's you know less swollen than it was congratulations <laughs> um also uh you're gonna go ahead and transfer that money back because uh they'd, they kind of want it <laughs> he's like oh and the look on his face when he realizes dang it i've been double crossed again <laughs> it's like okay Gosh. fine i'm i will deal with this no problem going to the bank now and he hangs at the phone and he he goes, he goes right where to go and find her. And it's, it's, it's neat, you know, and Vesper's deception revealed is just one of those moments when you're like, oh, this is going to go so bad. Because this is when you know she's, she's going to go down. down for this.
1: So let me ask you a fun question. James Bond races down. He knows where to find her. He goes into the bank. He flings the doors open to that bank. Can you imagine being either A, a teller or B, just someone in the bank trying to take money out and someone just like flies in through the doors like that, looks around like a crazy person and then just fucking (laughs) bolts. I wonder if anyone was like, that was weird. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, in a post nine eleven world, he wouldn't have gotten one step toward the door before the rental cops <laughs> beat the hell out of him. And Italian police have machine guns, so he would have been shot like that. There's like he should have just seen her walk in and been like, "Dang it!" and like kept a distance from afar because he does tail her the whole way because she goes out the back is what he figures out. Yeah, and he tells her to the money drop-off point, and that's what he he finally goes in and we get that great showdown at that old hotel on the grand canal, which is floating on these ballasts, you know, because everything's flooding down there and you get some, and, you know, it's almost a callback to the opening where he had all the parkour. It's like he trained for that. And now this is the last level of the Mario world that he's got to go through. Yeah. And he falls down the rope and he turns around and shoots the guy, he shoots the ballast tank. So everything starts to sink. I mean, it's a great, uh, it's a great ending action sequence where he hadn't had a big action scene yeah. in a long time. So we get one and what's, what's great about it though is how it ends where she's in that elevator and starting to sink. And we should mention Mr. White has walked away with the briefcase at this point. So the money is gone. No money. And it's already been unlocked, so that that problem is solved. And when Vesper makes the choice... There's a scene earlier when he sits down to her next in the shower where she's been crying and stuff like that, and he picks up her hand. And at first I used to think, like, this is the wrong time, bro, to try to, like, make a move on her. But he, like, kisses and sucks on her fingers a little bit and just... You realize it's like, it's soothing her. It's kind of calming her down. And she does the same thing to him when she starts to drown in that elevator. She grabs his hand. She kisses those fingers. She pushes him away and then she lets herself drown in that elevator. And it's like, what a, what a tragic way to go down and for him to have to watch it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point about the finger. I thought the same thing in that shower scene. And I was like, dude, really? Right now? But. but that is a good point and it did come full circle that yeah that was wild too i mean i guess and as you mentioned jay uh which i just learned before we started recording that she kills herself in the book yeah and she essentially kills herself in the movie too just not in the same way
0: yeah, you get the the thing about the Vesper Lynd character is that a lot of people know for Bond, Tracy Bond was his wife, and spoiler alert, she gets murdered. You know, so <laughs> that sets him on a you know a whole other she revenge did. course. But the woman that broke him was Vesper Lynd in the the character's history because he really had fallen in love with her. He was he was in love with her. He was going to give it all up to be with her, and then she not only betrayed him she killed herself. And in the book it's she sees basically the the book's version of Mr. White following them around and realizes I'll never get away and so she kills herself and then that sets him on his, you know, next journey or whatever. And what what we get here from Bond is that you know, hey, the money's gone, we don't know where any of it is, you know, any of that stuff and I love how cold he is about it to M on the phone. The bitch is dead. And mm-hmm. that what a, what a cold line. And that's how the book ends too. He says that and that's it. But, um, the thing is though, she left him a clue. She left her cell phone turned on and before you could lock him with passwords, she left Mr. White's phone number in there just for him. Just so he, she had a, like an unsent text message for him and it had that number. So just in case he wanted to follow it, he's got one more lead. And, um, uh, I don't know. It's a good moment, though, where where he is writing all that off. And M kind of puts him in his place one more time.
1: Does he say the bitch is dead while he's back at headquarters or while he's on the phone with
0: M? He said that when he's on the phone sitting on that boat in Italy. He's got a sailboat there. And so he says that to her and, and he's playing with Vesper's phone. And then M goes... Eh, you know before you say that by the way this is what happened her lover got you know kidnapped was going to be killed that's how they turned her they got to her and she made a deal to trade the money for you to live so she yeah. saved your life twice as i recall cuz she's the one that hooks up the defibrillator because
1: she yeah yeah she saved him from cardiac arrest and also she saved him from just the most brutal way to die as a boy that I can imagine. I don't know. <laughs>
0: so, well, that's I that's the Mr. White angle co- coming in, right? And so she made that deal to save his life. And Bond goes to work on Mr. White. I love that we get a cliffhanger yeah. to end the Bond movie because he calls him up. He's like, who's this? And he's standing there and Bond shoots him right in the leg and not with the, you talk about breaking tradition, not the Walter PPK or anything. He's got a, you know, M5 submachine I, gun. Oh, and I was like, yes. well, alrighty then, we've upgraded.
1: So, yep. I thought that too. When they pulled in for that shot or pulled out for that shot, I was like, oh. Okay, we are playing with literally the big guns now. Like this exactly. is what we're worth. that's cool. That's cool. Whatever. Drop, and drops that of course, you have that knee. iconic last line, which is the first time that he said it in the mm-hmm. whole movie, which I'm sure was not an accident. <laughs> Oh no, but, they, they
0: saved that because that was the moment he became Bond. Yeah. Whatever. And yeah, it's a great, it's a, what a, what a killer planned. ending to, uh, to what has been a, again, a long movie, but a ride of a movie for sure. Yeah. And they leave us hanging. And so you got to watch Quantum of Solace because it picks up like a mile down the road and, and you'll know what happens at the end. That'll, that ties up the Vesper Lynn story completely. If you want to go watch that one, uh, maybe some other time here on film strip, but for now, Lindsay, we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Casino Royale?
1: Popcorn rating is I'm just going to start right off with it an extra large. I forgot how fantastic this movie was. I couldn't have picked a better film to kick off my Bond marathon with. Looking forward to watching the rest. Looking forward to watching the books. Or watching the books. Yep, that's what I'll be doing. Reading the books. <laughs> and, um, and spending my time in quarantine with that. So I have extra large popcorn, hands down, no question. I loved it. I still love it. Highly recommend watching it.
0: Extra Large Popcorn for me as well. Top five, probably top three Bond movie of all of them, of all time. Just a tour de force. Everybody in it gives a great performance. Again, can't put over how cool Evergreen is as the Bond girl in this. She just really raised the bar for what that could be and really redefined it. I don't know if anybody else got ever got close to that. Uh, And just a great performance. Daniel Craig is perfect in this. Judy Dench is awesome. Everybody else... Gives a great performance. Even the bad guy, Mads Mickelson, is so pathetically fun in this. And he has such a weird end, but it's perfect. And I love the whole who done it intricate plot and all this. And the fact that it doesn't resolve itself. You gotta go and see some more just tells you how skilled they were at making this movie. Great movie, great Bond movie, but a great movie on its own. Extra large popcorn for sure. And a real blast to revisit here as we're all, you know, locked up working from home here during uh, the coronavirus. We hope everybody listening is staying safe and that you and yours are well. And We've been able to bring you a little bit of entertainment here. So we have a lot more episodes to come. But, Lindsay, first, tell folks how they can follow you on the social media.
1: On the social media, I am mostly on Instagram. I'm on Twitter technically, but I'm never actually on Twitter. So on Instagram, you can find me at Lindsay Lu Hu, but that's L-I-N-Z underscore L-U underscore W-H-O.
0: Fantastic. And of course, folks, you can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com, as well as the feeds to everywhere you can subscribe and download the show, Google, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, you name it. We're there. You can also follow the show's social media at Filmstrip Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and also follow Filmstrip Podcast on Facebook for episode announcements and interact with your host. We appreciate your support. So until next time, for Lindsay, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip.